wondering if I should pull up the live stream. Sure, why not? Does that help us? Uh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Let's see if I can find that. Must watch video. Well, I see that, but I don't see a live. Uh, <laughs> it's under my, the company name. Okay. So what I can do. Well, anyway, we can go ahead. Yeah, I'll sure. find it. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, this is our podcast, which doesn't have a name yet. I am Harut Markarian, and our guest today is the amazing, resilient, talented, and award-winning actress Eileen Gruba. Eileen is an actress, writer, director, producer, and has an extensive resume in casting. She has been hired to write screenplays and has produced several films and a pilot. Eileen was born in Anchorage, Alaska. She trained at the Alliance Theater in Georgia and, HP, and at HP Studios in New York City. In LA, she works mostly in television and constantly trains at the Actors Studio under the guidance of Martin Lando, Alan Miller, Barbara Bain, Lou Antonio, Mark Rydell, and Caitlin Adams. Recently, Eileen was in HBO's Watchmen, CBS's SWAT and All Rise, NBC's New Amsterdam, Netflix's The Politician, and in ABC's The Strong Town. Eileen has been in many films and TV shows, including NBC's Game of Silence, Sons of Anarchy, Criminal Minds, <laughs> Bones, Fear the Walking Dead, HBO's Hung, Enlightened, Benched, Instant Mom, CSI Miami, The Mentalist, and the list goes on. Uh, Eileen has overcome many un unimaginable challenges. She's been a fighter all her life, and she refuses to, to give up her quest to create an all-inclusive entertainment industry. She's an advocate for children with disabilities, families with genetic cancers, and fights for the inclusion of performers with disabilities in film and television. Eileen and I met at the Abilities Expo through our mutual friend, Michael Gifford, also known as GIF, or as he likes to call it, the better looking half of our company. <laughs> Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, this is uh, our pleasure. You're our first guest. And uh, we, I'm still thinking about calling this podcast, as you put it, Mobility and Inclusion. So I like it. It's our top runner. <laughs> um, yesterday, uh, was it yesterday or the day before I was watching your uh, interview with David P at France TV? And uh, you mentioned there how your uh, incident started. Mm -hmm. uh, and I couldn't help to think about all the vaccine talk right now, right? And uh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask your opinion about that, whether you, if you care to make a comment. Oh, well, it's a loaded topic. And uh, I guess everyone's life journey is their own, but... Um... I haven't had a good experience with vaccines, so um, I still feel like we probably need them for a lot of these illnesses um, because our world is so overly populated now, so I can't imagine letting something like polio run rampant again. Um, I do wish they would make a much larger effort to make sure those vaccines are safe for people. Yeah. Um, and have less toxins and mercury and lovely things in them. But then again, I'm not a biologist or an immunologist or any, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of the, of the battle. So what no, do I know, no. except I'm not going to ever have another vaccine for as long as I'm on the planet. 
<laughs> I, uh, I completely resonate with that. And, uh, you know, I have a son and, you know, we're going through all that, uh, you know, discussion of what, what vaccine to give him, what not to give him. And as you said, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, I don't have yeah. enough knowledge. So it's, 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 an inter it's interesting times. Anyway, uh, let's, yeah. uh, uh, I mean, I was reading your bio. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> Is there anything you cannot do? <laughs> uh, I skate. I can't ice skate very well. I've tried though many times. Maybe maybe one of our uh, mobility platforms can let you ice skate. You never know. <laughs> I can't skydive because I promised my mother before she died that I never would. So that's I'm stuck to that one because I gave my word. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's understandable. Understandable. <laughs> um, so. Why don't you take us through your, uh, I guess, childhood and when the problem started, maybe talk to us how you dealt with, with the situation, mm -hmm. how your family dealt with the situation. Why don't we start there? Wow, it's a loaded conversation also. It's a, it's a long story, but I'll try to um, move through it quickly. I was um, a very happy, healthy, active child in a huge family and we had vaccines for school when I was less than five years old and uh, it was like three months before my fifth birthday and um, uh, I got one that had too much of the live virus in it apparently and I actually do remember it we had DPT and oral polio in the same day and 30 days later running through a park with my sister and little brother Joe um, I was doing flips and running and I landed after a flip without injuring myself, but I couldn't get up. I couldn't move my legs. And, you know, it just happened so suddenly and had, you know, little kid, I have no idea what's going on. So I, I literally had to drag myself across this massive park on my elbows to get to my mom and say, you know, something's wrong. And uh, she picked me up and looked at me and mother of all these kids. She's like, I don't see any blood. Nothing's broken. You're fine. <laughs> and she set me on a bench and, uh, you know, by the end of the day, it became more and more apparent that something was very wrong because I, it got to the point where I couldn't even sit up. My bladder was descending, you know, when they took me home that night, I couldn't even sit up in the bathtub and slip down and into the water and um, that's when they picked me up and rushed me to the hospital. So it almost killed me. They, uh, uh, I remember the conversations with my mom later that, you know, much later that they had said that I wouldn't live. And then when I did, they said, she'll never walk again, permanent spinal cord damage. So um, I, was put in a wheelchair that was a bit too big for me and uh, expected to just, you know, stay there. <laughs> um, and I understand that, you know, when doctors say that's what's happening, a lot of people believe it. And, um, but I didn't, I was too young to wrap my head around it. I didn't understand. And, you know, the backlash is huge when you're a kid and suddenly you have a problem that uh, draws attention away from everyone and on to you. And um, when I saw how everyone was reacting and behaving and my mom was always crying and my dad was upset and my siblings were all mad at me and like just, it was a very challenging time for a little child. And so I just thought to myself, 
I have to get better so everyone can be happy again. I have, I have to get better. And I didn't even know what that meant or I didn't understand it all, but I did understand that I used to be able to walk and I was going to again in my head. I was like, it has to, you know, nothing changed in my head. Nothing had changed. So my legs were still there. They should work. Right. So, um, that began the journey, you know, and, uh, little by little, you know, I was able to keep forcing my weight onto my legs from my bed. And I fell many times trying to do that, but eventually I got to the point where I could stand, you know, by the side of my bed, holding on like a little toddler. And then it was, you know, one step at a time, holding onto the bed and little by little, then I graduated to a walker and, um, little by little, I got to where I was walking, you know, again. So, and it's been a lifetime battle. I've had surgeries all the way up until, you know, from childhood all the way up in, I mean, teenage years, all the way up until 2017, I had my last major rebuild on my left ankle. So it hasn't been an easy journey, but it's been a journey. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been an action journey. Oh yeah. It's a, uh, I can't say I've had a boring life. I will never say that life has been boring in my world because it has not. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you're you're living a lot more than most people, you know, like me live. So, uh, well, last week I on Sunday I went um, for fifteen thousand steps, which I believe is five miles. I don't remember what, what how many miles that is, but um. I went on a hike up a mountain with your business partner. Ha! <laughs> oh yeah, I know. You told me. <laughs> you told me. I had my trekking poles and my brace on, and you know, yeah. it was it was not a painless adventure, but it was a, a fulfilling adventure. I'm yeah, I, I believe really it. happy we did it, and I paid for it. Believe me, I paid for it that night <laughs> and the next day, <laughs> but it was worth it. So. Yeah, that's good. Um, actually, uh, when I hear you talk and how you overcame all the challenges, I'm in the process of writing a book right now. And it talks about how, uh, well, well, the book includes uh, some ideas on how our mental ability can dictate our, the life that we want. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah. so the thoughts that are put in our minds really dictate the way we're going to live our lives. Absolutely. And, uh, I think you impersonate that very well. Thank and, you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's. I have to thank my mother and my father for that because, you know, as a small child, having to figure out how I was going to wrap my head around all this and go out and face the day every day and face the, you know, the cruelty of people in schools and even teachers and um, just in the world, you know, our world is still not welcoming and accepting to people who are different and people with disabilities are very different. You know, we are, you were unique and that's the beauty of life in my opinion. Um, but thankfully I had the kind of parents who were smart enough and courageous enough and they were raised by parents who came through the great depression, right? So they were resilient people because they were raised to be. And so they taught me how to, have the courage to stand up and keep going and even speak up when needed, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. I also read that uh, your mom helped, helped you to become the artist that you are, right? You did indeed. I was, um, I was uh, in a wheelchair in 
uh, watching all the kids, my siblings play in the snow outside the window. And I, it made me really sad. I wanted to go outside. I wanted to play. I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. And, um, my mom started bringing me art supplies, you know, newspaper roll left over from the newspaper print, um, from the local newspaper and lots of crayons. And I would save every little nub of crayon. So I ended up with this massive box of crayons and, um, and she got me a sewing machine that sewed with glue. And I, as a little child, wrote to the company and asked them to send me more fabric because I couldn't make anything with what was in the box. And they sent me a whole big old box of fabric and I just started creating. And, you know, I rolled out that newspaper print and drew all the way across my room, all the things that I wanted in life and in my future and uh, all the things I saw. And, you know, I just started creating. And incidentally, you know, Years later, I I won a art competition for my ninth grade class in high school. We had this event called Kalini, where the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors competed against each other, all the women. Mm-hmm. And uh, as part of it was an art competition, and for that, I rolled out newspaper print and drew. A, I think it was a seven foot long mural of the um, Roman Colosseums and the Christians being <laughs> eaten by the lions. And it was all in crayon. So imagine how long it took to do that massive mural all in crayon. And um, we won we won the art award that year for that one. So, so yeah, uh, my mom inspired that creativity. And I, I also remember her telling me when I was a child in a wheelchair, she said, you can do anything you put your mind to. Anything you put your mind to, you can do. And, you know, I was so small that I thought, well, if I put my mind to it, can I make things fly across the room? Can I like levitate? Can I like, <laughs> you know, it, it, a little child is going, what does that mean? Anything you want. So um, I think my creativity was definitely sparked by my mom. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad she did it the way she did. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you about, uh, I also read somewhere it said that you faced prejudice in Hollywood because you were walking with limp. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's a definite fact. It's happened year after year after year after year after year. Um, I've been in the business uh, nearly 30 years now. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was not as bad when I was in Atlanta in my earliest years. It was not as bad. And I even, you know, did musicals on the stage when I could barely even walk. And we always found a way to adapt. And I remember doing commercials where they would just sit me on the wall and on Peachtree Street and let me wear whatever shoes I needed to and just have me sitting instead of whatever. Uh, New York uh, New York was um, okay. When I moved to New York, it was welcoming. And I um, did have my first um reality of people saying you can't do this because you walk funny um an agent that did it a couple of agents were kind of cruel um about it and uh i had a woman director that was kind of uh, not kind of really awful about it and a, a good handful of incidences where I didn't get work and I realized then the commercial world in New York was not nearly as open-minded as it was in Atlanta um, so it began there but the real resistance started and relentlessly carried on when I got to LA the land of the perfect people right um, 
So, you know, there was a lot of uh, resistance because, you know, when you're, everybody thinks that when you're a blue-eyed blonde, you're supposed to be perfect, absolutely flawless, mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to have a flaw or a problem. And, um, you know, it was pointed out to me many, 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 many times. And then other times happened behind my back and got back to me. And um, there were, I would say the best years, what I thought were should have been the best years of my career, I was fighting to get indoors and would get maybe two auditions a year because people knew there was something wrong with me. And at that time I had a, a AFO brace on my leg up to my knee uh, for 20 years. And, you know, I, I have a spinal cord injury, so I move a little differently than other people. But, you know, I've never understood the resistance because I'm like, hey, it's head and shoulders, you know, eyes and soul. Like there is no human emotion I am incapable of portraying. And to top that, life experience makes it really easy for me to make other people feel that emotion, which is what we're supposed to do in our industry, make people feel. Mm -hmm. um, we still haven't cracked the commercial industry in this, in this um, town. And, you know, the advertising agencies are still doing it behind our backs and in our faces. They're saying they're being a little bit more inclusive, but it's still not happening. Um, somebody like me still not getting in auditions for commercials and as much as we try, as hard as we try, however many years we try and lots of lots of resistance there. But thankfully, the most creative people in our industry and the most courageous people in our industry have been opening the doors. And I remember when I was a child, now my mom died 30 years ago, so I have not had this beautiful source of wisdom in my life for a lot of years, but I do remember in my youth her saying to me, whenever people are being unreasonable, go over their heads. Because the people in charge are in charge for a reason. And they don't even often know what's happening underneath them. So go over their heads. If they're being unreasonable, if you're giving people a chance to be fair and reasonable and they're not, just walk away and go over their heads. And so I started making that a practice because I was tired of not being allowed to work in this industry, especially when I was working harder to get the work and to get in the doors than any 10 actors you put together that I knew ever, mm -hmm. you know, like I worked my tail off through all these years and training constantly and going to workshops and learning, learning, learning and, and putting auditions on tape and flying myself to other States and working really hard just to try to get in anywhere to get some work so that people could see the work. And eventually that started to happen and what I realized is my mom was very right about that because when the when the people who are the most creative in our industry see someone or something completely unique they're lit up by that so fortunately for me I found and find a, found a way to get to those showrunners and get to those casting directors, the ones who really understand the work and the ones who really see the value of life experience and bringing it to the table. So when you look at my resume, what do you see? You see the biggest game-changing shows and like New Amsterdam on NBC and like Watchmen on HBO. And if you go back a bit, Game Changers, Sons of Anarchy, Hong on HBO, um, you know, the big shows, the courageous, creative people, they're not afraid 
of your differences. And so thankfully, I started to build a resume that opened more and more doors. And I kept speaking up and doing it as kindly, but as persistently as I possibly can, and trying to educate our town and our world on the value that people who've been through the challenges like I've been through bring to the table. Like we do bring a lot of depth and we bring a lot of experience that's unique life experience. And therefore we bring different choices and um, you can't take a person and put them through all the things I've been through without there being an enormous amount of energy bubbling <laughs> under the surface. And that energy is exciting to see in scenes, you know, like it's exciting to see um someone with a lot of passion and fire in a fight scene on a show or in a you know in a battle on fear the walking dead or you know like that's fun to see so fortunately for me i've crossed that that barrier and into the world of the most creative minds in our business and when they get their hands on me they usually write in more episodes and bigger roles and so that's been happening and i'm grateful it's been a many year battle and it took a, an enormous amount of resilience and um feisty everything i had in me to just keep going <laughs> all the time because it was, was writing when i was writing the introduction uh, i was like i definitely should put the word resilient in there because <laughs> just by reading your bios and your resume and, and you know i met you once as well so uh, it, it came across, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, not a lot of people amaze me. Mm. Actually, very few people amaze me, and you're one of them. Uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, uh, that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, of course, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, um, what advice would you give for people new to mobility challenges? Okay, so this is an interesting topic, an interesting conversation, because some people are born with disabilities, and they have an entirely different perspective than people who have acquired disabilities at some point in their life. So people who are born with it, they don't really have um, um, an idea of what it was like to be without a disability. So it's, it's a different perspective. And people who acquire a disability, um, it also depends on what age they acquire it. You know, it's a lot harder for an adult to adapt to a spinal cord injury or losing organs or going through cancer and facing your life. It's a lot harder because they're having to let go of the body um, and even the spirit and the innocence of the person who didn't have that challenge. And a lot of people, like I was recently listening to a talk and they said that the thing that people feared the most when they pulled lots and lots and lots of people was that the thing that people collectively seemed to list as the thing they fear the most in life, it was becoming a quadriplegic. And the interesting thing is, um, my response to that is they are so afraid because they don't know enough quadriplegics, mm -hmm. which is also why my industry has to keep opening these doors and putting people with 
real true challenges on TV and in the movies because people are so afraid of a change in their ability in life. And so my advice would be to someone who's newly acquiring a disability is to realize that the moment of impact and perhaps the year or two after are the hardest years. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're so hard is because you're having to change in a massive way and refigure out your whole life and your whole spirit. And it's a very, very, very challenging journey. I can, I can only however, <laughs> however, on the other side of that battle, is the greatest strength you will ever know. So therefore, if there is any way that you can get to a place where you look at what you're dealing with, decide what level you want to live at, because we can decide. We do have decisions to make along the way. Some people decide, okay, that's it. I'm going to be in this situation and I'm going to be in a wheelchair. Other people decide I don't want to be in a wheelchair and I'm going to find a way to be more mobile. Some people are okay with where they're at. Other people are not. And that's okay. Everybody has a right to be where they are and where they want to be. And that might even shift. But as your company is learning this world, you're going to find that, you know, some people want that stand up wheelchair that holds them up and lets them be at height level, uh, standing level with everyone else. Other people don't want that and don't care. Um, some people want to move no matter what it takes. You know, I, I have another friend of mine who had broken his neck in uh, rugby at University of Florida and was a quadriplegic. And, you know, he chose to fight and do what he could to overcome that. And he had the greatest resource possible available to him when he went through his battle. And that resource was an older brother, Vinny, who had a disability and had lived with it since birth. So there is no greater life force, I don't think, on the planet than Vinny. <laughs> He's a, wow, just a source of light and energy. And, um, and so he coached his younger brother through this spinal cord injury. And, and now his brother is a very accomplished filmmaker, one of the most talented filmmakers I know. And he is walking, like me, walking with a spinal cord injury. And he deals with, you know, it, when you get to the level that you're capable of fighting for, when you get there, it doesn't mean all the problems go away. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have all the pain and all the challenges. You know, like, you know, some people have said to me, you know, rather than be in pain all your life, why don't you just sit in a wheelchair? And, and I just, my answer is because I, for me, I don't want to. Yeah. And that's my choice. Yeah. So um, my advice to people newly acquired is find somebody who's come through it, been through it, find a few of those people and talk with them. Mm -hmm. uh, find out what they know get into some of the Facebook groups. That's something we have now that we didn't have when I was young, you know, groups of people who are sharing their experiences. I'm in a few of the spinal cord injury support groups on, on um, Facebook, even one that's for spinal cord injury walkers. And um, also figure out what level of mobility you're willing to fight for and then go out and fight for it. 
you know, like me, I've never stopped my quest all my life to be at the highest amount of mobility that I possibly could attain. And that's gone up and down through the years because of course I have damage from that spinal cord injury. So, you know, I've had a lot of surgeries. I did a lot of cheerleading and jumping and crazy stuff on this leg and spine. And, um, you know, I've survived a lot of, a lot of things even after the spinal cord injury, including cancer. And every t single time it's a readjustment of figuring out, okay, now what? And I think that's part of the mental overcoming of things is getting to a place where you say, okay, this is what is now. And now what, what do I want for my life? So I say, figure that out and then go for it with everything you got. And, you know, if you're having a walking challenge, go find you <laughs> Haru, and Mike and be like, Hey, my life would be a lot easier if I had this adaptive device. <laughs> Can you figure that out and get back to me? <laughs> speaking, of, uh, speaking of the devices, uh, obviously you went through a bunch of them. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was, I mean, what was the most challenging part of going All of it? Uh, all of it was challenging. Um, well, when I was little, it was a wheelchair that was too big for me. And, you know, you're propped up with pillows. And um, I hear a lot of my friends who are using wheelchairs now that that adapting of the wheelchairs is a very, is a constant challenge, you know, because everybody's different and everybody's challenge is different and what they need is different. I know some people who need to be inclined and some people who need to be upright and, you know, it, it all depends on their situation. Um, once I got out of my wheelchair and trying to walk, I didn't stay in a walker very long because they're not very good. I mean, they, they kind of, but they're not great. Like I didn't, even after many surgeries and even after the surgery in 2016 and then the one in 2017, I had to use a walker again for a while. And it's just really hard for me to move that way. I'm, I'm much better on crutches, you know, so I would get my crutches out. I can run marathons and crutches. I can do uh, athletic events and crutches because that to me is like having four legs <laughs> one of them has to be kept kind of out of the equation but that still leaves me with three so crutches is a super great easy thing for me much easier than a walker um, I did have to go back to a wheelchair you know a few times through my life because of the fact that the surgeries were so um, you know the bone work and everything was so fragile that I couldn't risk getting up on crutches and maybe have a fall. So uh, the braces, I would say the braces, canes have never worked for me. I, I trip on them. I don't know what's up with canes. I don't know who they help. Um, you know, so I have a lot of thoughts on how canes could be adapted to be more useful in less something you're gonna trip on, you know. Um, so to me, I wanted to not be with a cane or a walker. And so for me, that meant uh, AFO braces for a lot of years. And, you know, the challenge with AFO braces a lot is, you know, they're really expensive and your insurance will cover maybe one a year. And then if that thing doesn't fit it right and it doesn't work, you're you got another problem on your hands. Like I have had a lot of, I have a basket full of braces upstairs that are like, you know, they don't work because they hurt my bones or they push one bone in the wrong direction or they force me to swing my leg because a brace controls your movement from the way you're coming down on it, you know? So I've always thought they need to find a way to have 
adaptable braces that are still as supportive as like AFOs and not just, you know, cause those strap around ones are useless also, um, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, I, they might work for a strain or something, but they don't work for massive bone rebuilds and ankles that are <laughs> caving in. So, uh, I think the biggest challenge is, um, the fact that our bodies are constantly changing mm -hmm. and even as we're aging, they're changing and our physical level is changing, you know? So the biggest challenge for mobility with somebody with um, a walking disability is that our, our changing, our constantly changing system that's trying to function. And I don't know the answer, but that's your job because you're the astrophysicist, scientist, engineer guy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still, I think I'm still going to go for the hover walker for you. I won't have, I don't know about a hover walker, but I want hover shoes. I <laughs> talked to my little nephew about this. Who's going to be, he's already becoming an engineer. He needs to, uh, you know, get out of grade school, out of high school, out of college, and then come work for you. Um, but I told him too, I was like, I want hover shoes so that when well, my ankle gives out, I can just go, you know. <laughs> well, let's start with the hover walker so you can learn how to balance your body first and then we'll graduate to the hover shoes. How about that? <laughs> how is the walker going to help me balance if it's Well, because you're, you're, gra you're grabbing on top, right? You have something to grab on top. But if, I, if you wear the, walk, if the hover okay. shoes, then you're going to have to, you know. All right. Well, I'll try out the hover walker. I'm okay with that. Okay. I'll try it out as long as it doesn't look like an old lady device. No, you're gonna nothing wrong Jetsons. with old ladies, but I'm just not there yet. Yeah. No, you're you're gonna look like the Jetsons. I'm yeah, I want to look like the Jetsons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm good. I'm in for that. I like the Jetsons idea. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I got that from you. So, <laughs> um, so as an advocate for children with disabilities. What is the biggest thing that you see today is missing in the lives of these children? To acceptance. Be acceptance. Acceptance. Acceptance and appreciation for who they are. It That's is. the biggest challenge facing kids with disabilities still today, which is why I'm still in the battle and I'm still fighting for inclusion in the visual arts because until the world sees more of those kids in a different light on screen, on TV, out in the world, um, they're not going to realize that we don't have to be afraid of them and that they have a lot of gifts to bring to all of our world. You know, they are very courageous, resilient, fun people. Um, most of them have so much light to bring into our world and they're being, they're still being left out and kept out and made fun of them, picked on and they're the number one target of bullies and they're the number one targets of rapists and all the awful humans in the world. So we need to get to a point where the, uh, amazing humans in the world start to look at them and say, wow, these are amazing people with in, in, intense passion and courage and massive amounts of um, energy and brilliance to bring into our world and spirit, beautiful spirits to bring into our world. And we need to start honoring them and respecting them and appreciating them and treating them like equal human beings like every human being wants to be treated fairly and equally. Um, and so do people with disabilities. And so that's the number one problem they're facing. It's, uh, it's amazing you said that. Uh, I just finished the second blog that I'm gonna be posting either tonight or tomorrow morning. I uh, just got the approval from Vince saying that, okay, it's, uh, it's good to go. 
Um, so in, in that blog, I talk about uh, uh, what is mis missing in the lives of these, you know, these people with challenges, right? Mm -hmm. And it said somewhere that children with disabilities are four times likely to be bullied. Yes. Number one target of bullies. I experienced that all my life. And you know what? Bullies grow up and become adult bullies in the workplace. Bullies uh, go out and do things like Harvey Weinstein did in our industry. And they get away with it for a lot of years because so many people are looking at how powerful they are and how much they can change their world. So they don't really care what that bully is doing to everybody else's world. So, yeah, they are the number one target of all the... Because weak people, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call it like I see it. Um, sorry if it offends people, but weak people look for people they can dominate and they look for people that they feel like they're better than. Then that's, that's a weak person. I a strong person looks at people, all people as individuals and says, what value does this person bring to the table, to the equation? So weak people are just looking for people to dominate, crush, use, manipulate, and um, they are drawn to people they perceive to be less than them, who they perceive to be weaker than them. And it's a massive um, misconception to think that somebody with a disability is weaker than you. That is a massive, massive Mistake. I can start imagining how you can, whether it's someone with a, uh, with a disability or not, how you can just judge a person just by looking at them. It's just uh -huh. beyond belief. Um, no, everybody's different. Every individual is different. Now, if they've harmed you, or if you can see their intent is harm, then you got to trust your instincts and get away. But the reality is most people are truly good. And, um, and they're needs to be more encouragement in our entire society to treat every human being as an individual yeah. and see what it is that they have to offer and the value they bring to the whole world and i think that when we do that we're going to have a much more productive um, society and we're going to elevate humanity to a whole nother level it has to happen but we're leaving out these precious kids and spirits who've been through so much and they've been so underestimated and so kept out of the game and you know there is not I don't think there's any part of our world that you can look at and not find a massive game changer leading that arena and not find a disability mm -hmm. because when you look at it I mean I think back on all the role models and all the people I've looked up to you know I got to meet Stephen Hawking is he not a game changer in his world? Of course he is. Does he not have a lot to offer the human race? So what if he would have been surrounded by weaker people who decided to dominate him and put him down and put him in a room in a padded cell and never let, it, never let him speak or never try to help him uh, communicate with his disability? Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't have had his perspective. And I mean, Einstein had a learning disability of all things, a learning disability. You know, Beethoven went deaf. He, he went deaf <laughs> before he wrote his best stuff. And you look at like Wilma Rudolph. She was one of my heroes when I was younger and she was, um, had leg braces when she 
she was young, she was in a big family where everyone always bothered her, picked on her, whatever. She wanted to be an athlete. She wanted to be a runner. She won three Olympic gold medals for running after growing up with braces on her legs. That's what I'm a Rudolph. And I'm like, you know, Stevie Wonder, the, the, the list is just endless. How many people, FDR, our longest term president that many, many say, you know, was maybe our greatest president. He, he had polio and was in and out of a wheelchair and, you know, a lot of our game changers. So isn't that enough to, to make us realize that regardless of what the physical body is doing, there is something to be learned there and something awesome because a disability doesn't make someone less. It well, makes them more. It makes them stronger. It makes them more uh, creative. It makes them more focused because they are forced by their physical challenges to um, focus on the things they are good at. Absolutely, I, I completely resonate with what you're saying. And uh, in terms of you know bodily uh, functions, all of our bodies is going to degrade at one point. But our absolutely never going to go away. I used to say it in kind of a brutal way, but it you know in some of my speeches out there in the world, I used to say it in a way would make the whole room laugh. But I'm like, unless you're lucky enough to crash in a plane. <laughs> you are going to go down with some kind of disability unless you have some sudden accident. Um, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have a challenge and that's, that's life, you know? Yeah. 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 Let's, uh, let's move on to the role of the caretakers and, you know, in the lives of people with, you know, various challenges. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with them? Wow. I'm lucky because I had the greatest caretaker on the planet in the years that she was alive. And that was my mom. Mm -hmm. She was my greatest ally. She was a wonderful selfless, selfless woman. Um, she always put her children and their needs first, always, even when her father would send her, you know, a hundred dollars for Christmas when times were rough in our family, um, she would take that money and buy things for the kids, whatever they needed, you know? And so I had an amazing mother caretaker for sure. And, um, she guided me, but also made it possible for me to, um, do the things I needed to do in my youth. And, um, I even remember one time when she was pregnant with a baby and a toddler and me paralyzed and I needed to get to kindergarten that day for, and I couldn't walk. Um, I needed to get to kindergarten for our school pictures and it meant the world to me and her car was, wasn't working. And she literally got on a bike with a basket and a toddler and a pregnant and a and somehow got me to school. So that's the role of a caretaker, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, the caretakers are critical and it's not easy for them either. I've been a caretaker to many cancer patients, including my parents through their deaths and some very close loved ones, even last year, two people I, I love with all my heart. And, um, uh, being a caretaker is not an easy thing, but it's a critical, critical role. 
Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to ask this question because uh, currently both my grandparents are uh, basically one is bedridden completely. Uh, the other one uh, suffered from a stroke uh, in the past year or so, uh, and uh, her entire left side is now unfunctional, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and I see, I see how my mom, my aunt, my uncle, they, you know, the same way to, you talk about your mom and how she was great all these years and how lucky you were. Yeah. Uh, and I, I completely see that when you're actually talking about these stuff. I see that with my grandparents, even though it was, you know, you were a younger kid, they're, you know, at maybe the last stages of, of, of their lives, but uh, the, the care that they're being given mm -hmm. by their family members, it's just unmatched. Anywhere, any other place, I don't think they're going to be, you know, that much caring. Yeah, and it's not, it's not an easy thing either. I know that, like, you know, when my mom was alive, yeah, I had that. But then, like, right after she died, I had to have a massive rebuild that, that took me off my feet for, it was a full year before they would even let me get on crutches. I had a cast up to my hip that was so heavy, they had to put a handle on it. And, and at that time, you know, I didn't have my mom anymore. And, you know, a lot of the things that happened after through the years and cancer and all that stuff, um, you know, I had to rely on uh, friends to yeah. help me through stuff. And thank God, you know, as we don't always have the support we need. And that's a challenge for a lot of people with disabilities. Um, they don't always have the support they need. But if if they remain open and travel in circles of people who truly love them for who they are, mm -hmm. they will find the friends who step up and, and help. I will, I will not do this for Mike, by the way. What? I will not do this for Mike. Ah! <laughs> if Mike ever gets, you know, <laughs> some type of uh, challenge, I, I just let him die. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you on that for a minute because I'm going to tell you something. We went on that hike, and as we got, you know, I don't know, three quarters of the way up the mountain, my ankle started to go a few times, and Mike was like, there to catch me i think he caught me once when i did fall <laughs> and uh and on the way back down the mountain as we were getting to the point where i was just like literally in my brain going i don't know how many more steps i can take and we still had a way to go and it was giving out every other step and he's such a gentleman like i noticed he walked on the the right side of me between me and the traffic and he was staying by my without even saying anything and i didn't have to ask and he I'm, stayed right by my side to, and you know, I could see his hand was out just in case. And uh, he was, he no, was, he is, uh, yeah. he is a gentleman. And don't, don't tell him I said that. I won't tell him. <laughs> uh, but he, he looked out for me. So I believe he would be a great caretaker for you. So you might have to revise. I'm sure. I'm saying, I won't do that for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm kidding. And and by the way, he's not my business partner. He's my pro oh. officer. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> That's why yeah. he couldn't get rid of me. He couldn't leave my side for the past three years. <laughs> you're, you're stuck. <laughs> um, what did you do? It must have been huge because I know where he works. <laughs> let's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it offline. We'll take it offline. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you about your experience with the insurance companies when it came to acquiring mobility devices. Do you have any experience with those? 
<laughs> I actually asked this question for other people who I personally met before the pandemic hit. And uh, they basically, uh, they, they didn't have anything good to say about it. Well, I'm going to just say that insurance has been the bane of my existence. <laughs> and um, insurance is always a battle. And like, thank God we've gotten to a point where they're not allowed to like, just say no based on pre-existing conditions. Cause there were a lot of years in my life where because of pre-existing conditions, I couldn't even get insurance no matter what I did. And that was scary for somebody who's dealing with cancer and whatever, you know? So mm -hmm. that was, it, it led to some really hard years. Fortunately, I can get into group insurance and I can get into the screen actors guild insurance if I work enough. And so therefore that became a lot of my head butting with the industry. Cause I was like, no, you will let me work because I need to make my health insurance so I can get to my hospital and MD at MD Anderson and stay alive. So I, you know, it became a lot of my forceful battle because I needed to make that screen actors guild insurance. Um, Fortunately, when you're in your Screen Actors Guild insurance plan, thank God, um, it does cover things like braces and um, mobility devices when you need them. It's more like once a year. And, you know, like this last year, I just got a new walking brace, a gauntlet walking brace built for me in orthotics so I can shift from different shoes and uh, I can put on that walking brace to go hike up a mountain. Um, Still want to talk with you about the the mobility device of hiking sticks <laughs> for everyday for everyday use and for those of us who want to climb up a mountain with our spinal cord injury. So I have some ideas for you there. But um, the insurance, it's always been a challenge, and everyone that I know with a disability um, that requires mobility devices ha has uh, a lot of lack in that area unless, unless they're extremely wealthy. Um, people who I know with disabilities who are really wealthy manage to get everything uh, that they need, but the rest of the disabled community always struggles to get what they need and insurance really loves to decline pretty much everything if they can get away with it. Um, most insurance companies will try to make it impossible. Um, so um, it's always a challenge. If, if um, mobility devices could somehow be much more affordable and accessible for everyone and somehow be adapted to everybody's needs, I mean, it would be a game changer for so many people. Well, that's definitely uh, one of the things we're trying to address. And uh, that's why I love what you guys are doing because you're trying to create yeah. because a I world think, that is more uh, accessible to everybody who needs it. Exactly, and these uh, these are not uh, these are not luxuries, you know. These are necessities that need to be out there. Yeah, just like your shoes or your coat in winter, you know, like know for the years through the years you know there there was a time when my brace was an absolute necessity I couldn't walk without it without falling because bones were hitting you know and yeah. so now I can after all these surgeries I can walk without a brace if I'm in an incline but I incline shoe but I can't do flat shoes unless I have a big old brace and so it's like you know it's it, it, it's an absolute necessity yes if if um my friend Donna, who you're gonna help adapt the wheelchair, yeah. Um, if she doesn't have her chair, then she's she's screwed, you know. And uh, and 
adapting that chair to make it better for her just sets her free a little bit more. And, uh, you know, what I love that you guys are doing is, is finding a way to make the world more accessible to people by helping them get what they need to be mobile, as mobile as they can be for wherever their body's at. And that's uh, exactly what we're doing. Our, our first goal is to add value and then we can think about compensation. It, compensation is not, it's not what we're based off of, even though, of course, it's important for a company to survive. But uh, it's more important, I feel like, to uh, you know, add value to someone, someone life, someone's life, especially, when, and if it's especially it's something simple as retrofitting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, I was watching another uh, another uh, uh, patient with a, with a uh, who, who was on a wheelchair, and he couldn't. Uh, his arms weren't functional, like like mine are, right? So yeah, he, yeah. he was testing this uh, robotic arm, mm -hmm. which would be very helpful for him. So this robotic arm would attach to his wheelchair, and he has a, a joystick, and he can maneuver the arm, right? And it'll be oh, it's wonderful. And it will be very beneficial for him to have, but they were saying the arm is fifty thousand dollars. It's like, and I'm I'm a robotics engineer. You know why is that arm fifty thousand dollars? You know what? Yeah, a couple of years ago when they rebuilt my leg in 2016, and again it didn't work, and I couldn't get back to walking. There was a there was a brace out there that people told me about that soldiers were able to get coming back from war and stuff. That's like a, a rebounding brace, a weight offloading brace. And, uh, you know, that brace costs $15,000 for a brace. And then you got to go to another stake get fitted and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know what, uh, a working actor with a disability who's not making her health insurance every year means you're just asking me for an entire year's salary <laughs> for a brace. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and so how is that accessible to people? That's only accessible to rich people. It's not accessible. And most people with disabilities are living in poverty. That's the reality of the sad world we live in, that we allow that to happen. Most people with disabilities, blog. what? That's also in my blog. Yeah, they're living in poverty. So how are they supposed to come up with $50,000 for that arm? You know, I... I it's amazing to me. We have to find a way to make all of this um, more attainable. Well, I, I'm sure that we will. The Jetsons car, the flying, yeah. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> okay. you're, you're, you're booked, that's it. You're the first one that we come up with, it's yours. <laughs> and, and you should tell everyone what I said to you when we talked about it, which yeah. is that, um, the way to make it work is that those mobility flying things like that on the Jetsons, only people with disabilities can have them, no one else. So of therefore, course. finally, everyone else gets to feel like they're left out <laughs> and we get to just zoom out and go. You know, I could go right on my balcony and keep going, you know? I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's even think, even out the playing field a little bit. <laughs> Uh, not a problem, not a problem. So, I mean, as our, uh, this is the final question I have for you today. Um, you know, you, you know pretty much what we're about. You've been involved uh, a little bit. So uh, what do you think, and for, for, for us and for other companies like us, what do you think is the best way 
to serve or to add value in this community? What, what can we do to, to do that? Well, because you're just starting out in this arena, um, I think you need to get to know a lot of people with different disabilities. Um, I think the best thing you can do is to listen and be very uh, adaptive, adaptable, is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, very open. Because what I do know from being a person with a disability, from advocating for people with disabilities and being involved in so many groups of people with different disabilities is that every single one is different. Every single disability is different. Every single person with a disability wants you to use different words, different, um, they want to be treated in different ways and accommodated in different ways and, and it's very challenging. It's a very challenging community to navigate. Um, so I think that you have to be extremely open and ready to adapt and adjust wow. at all times because uh, the world of people with disabilities is a, is a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Everyone's different. We're all different. So uh, it's not gonna be a one, one fix fits many kind of situation. And, and we'll see we'll see a lot of companies, especially when we were at the Abilities Expo, uh, we see all these companies coming up with the wheelchairs and they're doing great work, of course. Yeah. But uh, I, I was wondering if, uh, you know, what, what kind of population sample do they take? And they say, for example, this chair or this mobility device is fitted for this type of patient between the ages of, you know, certain ages. Mm -hmm. is, there, is, is there that study that going on or? Um, I'm trying to think of the last one that was, uh, I'm sure there are. Um, I remember when I first became um, a brand ambassador for global disability inclusion that they, they had given me a chart that said, you know, this many Americans has this kind of disability. You know, and, and at the time it was like 4 million people were in wheelchairs, 40 million had walking disabilities, which is an arena, an area that I think you're going to end up concentrating a lot in because mobility disabilities that include walking are where we need the most crutches, canes, walkers, devices that need to be adapted. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's 40 million and that that was at that time and uh, of people with walking disabilities which which requires a, a lot of um a lot of creativity and support in that arena so that people can get along get around better like i have a friend i was just talking to who i asked him to watch this um because i said wouldn't it be great if they could come up with a walking device for you that would help you to not fall and that if you did fall, like if it was some sort of a walking device stick or something, that if you do fall, it can quickly be adjusted to be a support to help you get up, that mm -hmm. one device. Like, yeah. and he goes, ooh, that'd be cool. And I was like, well, let's talk to them about it. You know, let's put their brains to work. You know, they went through all that schooling for a reason. Um, That's what we want. That's yeah, what we want. so the, things like that. Perfect. Uh, so being open and adaptable, I think, is is what's going to be most important, and and trying to really learn a lot about the community, which you guys have been doing. You've been reaching out to a lot of us advocates and speaking to a lot of people. You've got the greatest um, disability 
advocate I can imagine in Vince Stasekel. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. I just, the guy has been advocating for everyone for all his life and uh, moves through a lot of communities. He's got a lot of life experience. He's got a lot of wisdom to bring to the table. He talks to everybody. He's involved in everybody's um, journeys and the groups. and recognize that for sure because he's been, uh, I mean, helpful is the is an understatement. Yeah, to, he's to what he did to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, send him presents. It's good to send him things. <laughs> oh, I will. I will. I think. I think. <laughs> no, I'm just, he's gonna kill me for saying that. I'm just kidding. Um, no, well, well, we we were already thinking about it. I think Mike already sent him a T-shirt and a polo. If I'm. Oh, honest. good. Yeah. I just sent him a half a case of wine. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Just to thank him for all his stuff because he's so amazing, and you know we're all quarantined, and yeah, I, I didn't know if his caretaker would bring him the, those treasures. So he's gonna kill me for saying that. He doesn't want anything. He's just such a giver, and I, I'm always like, let's. let's, let's <laughs> no, well, I mean, no, we. This is a special person. Even, he really even, is. But that that's that's sort of saves a lot of. There are a lot of great people out there that will help you um, navigate this community faster because they've been in it for so long and in Vince's case all his life and in many industries. Um, so you're you're doing what you need to do. You're learning the world that we all travel in. Awesome, awesome. And one, one person, I don't know if you uh, saw them during the Abilities Expo. Uh, the organization name is uh, uh, is Wheel the World. Wheel the World. I probably did see them. So uh, I, I want to talk to. Uh, I think his, his name was Alvaro Silverstein, and uh-huh. I think he's based in somewhere in South America, either Peru or maybe Colombia, somewhere there. I'm not sure, uh-huh. but uh, I want to talk to him as well because they need uh, a lot of equipment to be able to uh, help. People with uh, challenges travel. No, not, oh yeah. Yeah. Now, now we're not traveling, but you know, in case that ever picks up again. Right. Uh, I wanna, I wanna also engage in that as well. So. Well, maybe you could do some sort of plastic shields around the wheelchairs and stuff, so that they don't get the coronavirus. Oh, that's easy to do. And then they can travel. <laughs> yeah. no, that's that's very easy. To do. That's <laughs> Hey, Eileen, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. I appreciate it. I had so much fun talking to you. Oh, it was great talking with you too. Do I pronounce your name correctly when I say Harut? Yes, you are. Okay. I should have asked that sooner. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Not a problem. Uh, uh, is there anything else? Anyways. What? You're better than Mike anyways. Ah! <laughs> you guys are hilarious. Uh, I cannot. I, I, any chance I get, I want to take a stab at it. I've noticed that about you too. <laughs> I guess that's why it's a good partnership. You can yeah, openly yeah. just I, reach out guess, and smack each other. I guess so. I guess so. Funny. Eileen, thank you very much. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And uh, I hope they got uh, valuable information as I did. Uh, you just dropped knowledge on us. It's, it was amazing. And I guess awesome. we'll see you next time, hopefully with Vince. Yes. And until then. I want you to know that you have an infinite potential, trust it and harvest it. Oh, thank you very much. And you too. And thank you for the work you're doing in this world. My pleasure. Thanks. All right, Eileen. Bye. Bye. Bye.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.